Yeah, well, actually, one thing I, I did pick up from my like doing my first episode. I don't know if you had a chance to listen, but uh, I did. I liked it a lot. I didn't like the intro. What did you feel about it? I felt it was too forced. Um, yeah, that was. I think that was honestly my only feedback. But you know, just thinking back to when we first started doing it too, I, I feel like a lot of the things we did were very forced, and then we sort of flipped the switch on them and said, you know what, like we don't want to be another podcast that feels overly scripted overly forced like we just want to have like a free-flowing conversation because at the end of the day that is those are the best types of conversations when people actually just speak freely with what's on their mind so we really tried to adopt that with our uh with our intros too well i mean as i said i don't really like i'm gonna cut the intro that's that's the first thing i'm gonna do so i'm gonna introduce you now it is christian let me know if i get this right borgerson you got it right all right you got it <laughs> i'm always afraid there uh director of marketing at saveology uh and also the co-host of the art of the fail podcast which is the main reason i wanted to get you uh on here so we could chat about podcasting and kind of reaffirm what uh, what I'm doing right here and uh, like Definitely. what's pick your brain of uh, how to do it properly and what kind of success you've seen with it. Um, so the first question I have written here, at least that we'll start with as a basis is uh, what is, was your first podcast and kind of what got you interested in it? Yeah. Um, is that, sorry, you mean like the first podcast I've listened to or, or the first one that we uh, created? I was going to say creative, but let's start with uh, listen to. What got you interested in podcasts? That's, yeah. Yeah, why not? Let's start with that. Funny enough, um, I'm actually not even really like a big podcast listener, uh, which is kind of ironic as someone who hosts a podcast. But from what I can recall, at least pretty vividly, the first podcast I think I maybe not necessarily listened to, but really got hooked on was, uh, was Serial when they first came mm. out with that first season. And I think that would have been around, I forget the exact time frame, anywhere from like 2010 to 2012, somewhere around there, I think. It's not um, really been that long, wow. <laughs> it has been that long, I know. And so that was kind of what got me introduced and hooked on podcasts. I just thought it was a really cool way to absorb uh, a lot of content that was, you know, kind of checked off a lot of different boxes it was educational it was insightful it was something you could pick up and and, and go and just sort of do on your own time and uh also it was very entertaining and you know i was really struck on uh, how well produced a podcast could be by listening to that now obviously most of the people that are producing podcasts are not fortunate enough to have the production behind them that serial was and that's totally okay uh, you know, I actually do prefer things that are not overly produced, um, to be completely honest. So that was the first, po first podcast I would say that I listened to. And the fir first podcast that I created was The Art of the Fail. Uh, I co-host that with a good buddy of mine, Chris Buttonham, who's the uh, founder and CEO of a company called Obi.ai. And it was kind of a, an interesting way on how Chris and myself kind of came together and started that podcast. So we had been friends for uh, a little while before that. And both of us being just very fascinated in uh, startups, entrepreneurial journeys in general, and just really learning from, um, from other people in their own experiences. We, we sat down and we said, okay, what is something that 
you know, if we wanted to start a podcast, what is something that we could talk about that not many people are currently talking about right now? Maybe it's just something that they don't feel will resonate with a lot of people, even though there might be opportunity to, or maybe it's something that some people are uh, fearful of mentioning. And so failure came to mind immediately, um, both of us being big proponents of learning through failures, as both of us have a lot of failures under our belts. Um, and so that's just kind of how everything transpired with starting up the art of the fail. And then one thing led to another. Uh, we started filming and recording and putting out our first couple episodes. And right now we just chunk them in uh, in different seasons. A season makes up, you know, anywhere from eight to ten episodes, uh, depending on the interest we get from guests, which is which is quite high. Actually, we do get a lot of people just um, cold emailing us asking to come on the show themselves. But we've got a bit of a strict criteria now that we've got a few under our belt so we don't really like to open it up to just anyone and everyone you know being a show about failure uh we really try to vet people ahead of time that actually have uh, i would say larger than normal type of failures that kind of have a bit of a wow factor but that you can also actually learn from so you know we don't want people on the show that are just coming on and saying, oh, I failed a test or, oh, like a marketing campaign failed. Like it has to be something that really sinks in and, and makes your jaw drop almost like, you know, I lost millions of dollars of my investors' money by bad hiring mistakes or things like that. Um, yep. What, what has been the biggest failure, failure that you've come across on the show? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I would say that actually. We had um, our, our first guest, Tom Hanfield, a uh, really, really, really cool guy. Awesome and very interesting conversation. Um, and yeah, I mean, he opened up and he sort of set the bar pretty high with uh, the fails <laughs> to, to come on next. And it was that he lost, I forget how many millions, but several million dollars of uh, investor money and you know he was just sort of taking us through that journey and sort of even like the emotional burden that he was feeling knowing that you know he was responsible for that cash flow and for the loss of that money uh and i think he actually stated to his investors when he had to mention to them that you know the company's no longer we're going under um you know the, there is no money left i think he ended up making a promise to those investors that he would eventually pay them back to some sort of degree which he actually uh, did end up doing so good for him can i check out that episode now <laughs> yeah please do let me yeah. let me know what you think and, and for you what would you say has been the uh impact on your personal branding uh hosting a, a podcast i think overall it's been um it's been a pretty positive impact i think you know just being able to have like we're doing right now, just sit down and kind of get to know each other on a, on a whole different level. Other than like, you know, you and myself, we've had a bunch of different conversations, whether it's over LinkedIn or, or Instagram even or email. But I mean, now being able to actually sit down and sort of dive deeper into each one of our own uh, stories is a really cool way to make a, a, a better connection with people. And, you know, the outcome of that is that people start looking at you as someone who is able to um, competently and confidently have conversations with amazing leaders in their own industries. And so when people look at you as someone who is a great communicator and someone who is able to help people tell their own story and portray that and distribute that type of content, um, I think people start to trust you more. 
they really want to hear more from you. And that's definitely something that I've noticed from doing my own, uh, my own show for sure. And now I would say like, you know, we really don't even outreach to people anymore to come on the show unless they're really, really, really big names that, you know, it's someone that we've been wanting to get on the show for, uh, for quite some time, then we'll, you know, continually follow up with them. But a lot of the time, like, we have people just volunteering to come on the show, which has been quite remarkable. How long do you think it, it took to get to that point where people were coming to you? I would say it took, uh, if I could ballpark it, a, a good year. I'd say after the first year, people started to really pay attention to what we were doing um, and, and take interest into the type of content that we were putting out there. Season one was kind of a, like anything else that you do. You know, you, you put out content, you've got a certain format that you stick to. You've got certain questions that you ask in a particular flow with the show. Uh, it was definitely all trial mode. And so season two, we we definitely cut a lot of the fat and um, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't as far as to say perfected the show because it's got a lot of improvements still but we definitely made some major improvements and i think it was then when people started listening to the updated version of the structure and the format that people were like wow this is this is a really cool show and you know i've got a couple things that i can add that not only you know maybe i want to get myself out there but i've got a really cool story that i can tell that will hopefully help someone else who might have been in my shoes five years ago mm-hmm do you mind uh, mentioning what some of those improvements were or lessons learned from the first season? Yeah, so Chris and myself are very uh, on-the-fly type of guys. Um, and so what we did is is the first season, we tried to constrict ourselves a little bit too much, knowing that we don't necessarily operate in that sort of way. So it didn't really come across as natural as we'd like to. So we definitely mm-hmm. changed that up on season two. Um, but we also made sure that every guest coming on season two and beyond that we had done at least a little bit of research uh, ahead of time because that was Chris is a lot better than I am. I'm definitely like a very or I can be a very last minute type of guy with with those things in particular. Um, and so I, I like to cram it in. But we made sure that both of us did uh, you know enough research to the point where we had uh, at least a, a good understanding or thought we had a good understanding of who the guests were, but it also helps. It helps with the types of questions that you want to ask. So it, you know, even though you want the conversation to flow very naturally, it doesn't take the conversation like way too off course. You've got what we, we like to call them anchor questions, where if it's going a little too off course, we can throw an anchor question and reel them back into that um, you know, that path that we want to take them along. That was one major improvement. Um, the second one, I know Chris made a bunch of uh, adjustments just on the production side of things. So improving uh, the audio quality, making a couple of different changes with how things were being edited afterwards. Um, we added video, which you know this. Um, yeah, we and we were actually talking about this a little bit earlier. We added video to the show, which I think is a really cool element. But as I was telling you, it's also one of those things where it adds a lot more to your plate, to your work, uh-huh. not only just in the production and post-production, but even the distribution of the content itself. Um, and so, you know, uh, I would say video is doing quite well for us, but we're, we're definitely still getting a lot more listens to the audio by far 
than we are to the amount of video views that we're receiving. And so whether or not that's been something that has uh, been beneficial for us, it's kind of hard to tell, but we're sort of at a point where we have committed to it. So we'll keep going. <laughs> we'll keep going yeah. with the video. Yeah. So those are, those are just a few changes that we've made. What, where do you uh, distribute the video? Uh, just on YouTube, and then we'll just share it all across social media channels. We'll send out some emails, um, you know, just pretty low-hanging fruit type of distribution. Yeah, I imagine it's uh, it's pretty good to get new listeners, but I'm not someone who would go to YouTube to to listen to someone. I'd find, maybe find them on YouTube and then jump over to Spotify and listen to them there. Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, when you think about, and I think that's where I, what I was talking about is when you think about how people consume podcasts, a lot of people like listening to whether it's a show or an episode of a show, uh, you know, you like listening to it in your, the comfort of your own home. You like being able to listen to it when you're on the go. Maybe you're driving somewhere. Maybe you're commuting. Maybe you're at the gym. And so when you add video into the mix, it kind of convolutes a lot of that. It's it's a great way to diversify the content and add another element to the show. But it, it can also be very distracting in the, I guess, the outcome of the goal that you want to achieve with the show as well. And one of the other things, too, is you always have to realize you know, as you're filming video and recording the audio at the same time, you want both of those, the the listeners and the viewers, to have a very similar type of experience. And sometimes when you're recording on video, there's a lot of contextual things that take place that maybe someone listening to the audio might not really interpret or understand because maybe you're showing like a physical prop, let's say, for example. So just some things that you have to be very mindful of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the video aspect is really good to kind of splice up for promo materials as well, like 10-minute clips to throw on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. There's definitely benefits, but also going through and splicing that up takes a, a lot of time. So maybe I'll do it down the track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would definitely caution uh, video until you're absolutely ready for it. Yeah. I, I did want to ask, so you, we did talk about uh, personal branding and it's it's been a success for you. Um do you have have you found it's limited your brand at all as well though because i used to work for a magazine and i would go to events and uh write up stories as and people kind of saw me as a journalist even though i was actually the digital manager for the magazine so i'm just wondering if you've had any issues with that as well where people might just see you more as a, a journalist or an interviewer rather than yeah, a marketer that's a no that's a really good question in, in a unique one too i mean i'd love to hear about that experience of yours maybe you know offline but um personally i i haven't seen that happen to me and i i, I think you know maybe the reason why could be uh i could be totally wrong with this but just the types of guests that we're bringing on like we always do try to bring on guests that have very uh different backgrounds and have a lot of different uh, value in their own way to bring to the show. Um, so we really just try to diversify the content by bringing on different types of guests. Um, so that's one way where we, we don't necessarily want to pigeonhole ourselves into, you know, bringing on, let's say, just strictly fintech founders or something like that. But um, yeah, not not that I can recall. I think, um, you know, it's it's been pretty positive all across the board for sure. 
Mm-hmm. And do you have any best practices on how to grow the audience? The biggest things for us have been um, asking. So after we uh, publish the episodes and, and start to distribute them, emailing our guests, letting them know that, you know, the show or the episode, sorry, is is live and sending them not only a link or a personalized link that they can use to distribute, but also some content as well for them to share with their networks. And most of the time there is um, like everyone's on board pretty much. Like if, mm-hmm. if you had a good interview with people, like for sure they're going to help you uh, share the content that is featuring them essentially. Um, and so for the most part, everyone has been on board. And the other thing too is not only getting the buy-in from the guests, but also asking for reviews and getting reviews uh, has been really pivotal for us, I would even say. We've noticed that when we put uh, an effort into getting ratings and reviews across the different, let's call them directories like iTunes and Google Podcasts and such like that, that our subscribership and the downloads has increased significantly. So that was something that when we started noticing that, we we started putting in uh, a little more effort towards there just to you know, hopefully organically grow the show that way. Mm-hmm. So if everyone could subscribe and review, that would be great. <laughs> exactly. Subscribe and review. Today. Once I get on Apple, I'm still waiting on Anchor for that one. <laughs> oh, you know what? With, um, yeah, with my other podcast, which I really don't do anything with, um, I noticed that too on Anchor. It took a while for me to get on iTunes, but it did happen. So yeah. It, 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 it says happen. 10 days, so I'm being I'm just being patient with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's all you can be right now. Just yeah. sort of sit back and wait. Yeah. Uh, do you have any tools that you recommend? I know you had used Anchor in the past. Yeah, this one's a, a funny question for me because even with our show, I, do, I don't really do any of the, um, we'll call it the producer role in the show. I leave that one up entirely to Chris, which I'm sure he's super fascinated about. Um, Mind you, he did volunteer, but I know he uses GarageBand. We ended up hosting our podcast on SoundCloud. For us, you know, the first show that we ended up doing, it just happened to be the the easiest lift for us to get a show up. But now that I came across Anchor, and again, that's something that you and I have gone back and forth on. I love Anchor. So I would definitely recommend if, if you know, anyone listening to uh, your show and to this episode in particular is interested in starting a podcast themselves, whether it's just for experimental purposes, maybe it's something that they're tasked to do at their job, maybe it's part of a, a, a side hustle that they want to do. Um, I would definitely recommend trying out Anchor just for the ease of um, access to everything uh, alone. Mm-hmm. And what do you, do you use that for recording or? I use that. Program? Yeah, no, I, I use that for recording, for distribution, pretty much for everything actually. Mm-hmm. I, I, the only issue I had with Anchor was not being able to see the person. It's purely through doing it through your phone, which exactly. I didn't quite want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so actually, that that's a really good point. I would say you know if your um if if your show has guests coming on, then maybe recording through Anchor might not necessarily be the best way of doing it. That second show that I started is literally just me rambling on, so maybe I wouldn't necessarily. Uh, recommend anyone listen to that <laughs> but um yeah you know if, if it's just you talking about some stuff that you're interested in or that you're an expert in then anchor could do it 
Uh, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but what have you learned about interviewing people and the, the best way to do it? And I guess how prepared do you go in uh, to interviewing people? Yeah, like I was saying, like I, I <laughs> once upon a time when we first started, I would completely wing it going into it. Um, and I realized that, you know, I, as great as that is, as being able to have a completely free flowing, natural conversation, you sort of um, unravel a lot of parts of those people's journey as you go. Uh, being prepared, at least to some extent, does help you with those, as I called them earlier, anchor questions. And it also just helps sort of set the tone and the expectation for uh, for the interview and for the uh, for the episode itself. So now I, I try to do, you know, at least anywhere from half hour to an hour of research on any one of the guests. So wait, maybe that's, you know, I'll, I'll go and I'll check out their uh, their LinkedIn profile. I'll see what they've been up to. I'll see what other jobs they've done what their career path has looked like i'll, I'll check out their um where they got their degree from if they ended up going to post-secondary school um if they're if they're authors I'll, I'll check out what books they've written if they are podcast hosts themselves i'll check out what shows they host so really just any any little bit of additional context you can get about the person definitely does go the mile you know with that in mind too i would i I'm not the type of person that would go and completely analyze the person's entire life. I know there are people that might, you know, put a good four or five hours into researching. I think Chris is kind of going that route, but it's it's something that works for him. Um, and so I would say, you know, just do a little bit of research ahead of time, just so you feel even a lot more at ease and comfortable when you do have the person either on on video or just on call with you. Um, and the other the other bit is uh, about interviewing. What I've learned about interviewing in general is just, you know, it's like the old adage in, in the phrase, you have two ears and one mouth, just sort of use them in those proportions. And that is absolutely true. So you being the, inter the interviewer, um, it's so critical to, you know, uh, allow the person that you're interviewing to tell their story, you know, just knowing that you also have control on, on how you can sort of steer that. Um, but just, you know, letting them tell their story. Cause at the end of the day, they're on your show for a reason. Mm -hmm. I, I will say, I do find this format a lot easier to, uh, engage and listen with people compared to the, the panel discussions where usually at the time I'm actually like looking at my phone to check the time, uh, just checking and engaging engagement with people. So I don't have to think about that. So this is kind of nice to just kind of chill and relax a little more, but exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I am wondering, I, like, I, I do have, like, written questions, but honestly, I could probably wing this a lot more than I can a panel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's exactly it, right? Because you'll realize when, when your guests start speaking, like, and I'm sure this has probably happened to you in this episode already, like, there's probably, you know, 10, maybe even more questions that might have popped it up in your mind. You're like, wow, I could really ask Christian something about that, something about that, something about that. So it's really, uh, it, it's cool just... You know, if you listen closely, the little bits of pieces that you can extract and, and leverage those. Mm -hmm. So I, I did want to ask you about your last job and how you got it through the podcast. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go in a little bit to that story and how that happened? Oh, so with Planswell. Yeah. Yes. So I had um, Eric Arnold, who was the CEO of Planswell. I guess Planswell ended up starting up again, so he's still 
the CEO of Planes. I didn't know. No idea. Yeah, so they are, uh, they're just operating under a different corporate name, I believe. Okay. Um, I'm not really too sure uh, of the exact business model, but I knew the, I do know that Plans Well is, is giving it an epic give a can. And, you know, to be honest, I hope things go very well for them. They're all extremely intelligent guys. Um, and there's definitely a need for something like that. So I, I don't really know too much about the current operation. But yeah, I ended up getting my job. I would definitely attribute it uh, to the podcast. So I had Eric Arnold, the uh, again, sounds weird saying former slash current now, again, CEO of <laughs> Planswell, um, on as, as uh, episode 10 on our first season as a guest. And we had a great conversation with Eric. I mean, he's got a pretty fascinating background. Uh, he's done a lot of different startups in the past. And he's, he's really an idea guy that, uh, you know, just loves experimenting and trying different things. And he's super brilliant and super smart and good at executing on them. Um, and, and so I think it might have been maybe four or six months after that episode. Um, things with the company that I had started weren't really quite going, um, you know, overly well, I would say. And I just wasn't pleased with how things were going. And I felt it was time for me to change up what I was doing in my career. Uh, so I reached out to Eric, you know, mentioned to him how things were going on my end. And I had just asked, like, you know, are you guys hiring at all? And sure enough, one thing led to another. And then I got in there, got a couple interviews, and then I landed my role there as the marketing uh, manager at Planswell. And so I was there for about um, just shy of a year and a half. Just switching gears a little bit, you, you just mentioned Planswell had kind of folded, uh, I think, in November. Um, yep. You uh, kind of went crazy then. I saw on LinkedIn, you were posting a ton. You started your a second podcast. Uh, is there any words of advice you would have for someone who, like, obviously, a lot of people might be finding themselves in that situation themselves? Yeah. Um, you know, the adage in the phrase, your network is your net worth totally rings true in situations like that when you do need that support and it's great to have uh, a support system so for anyone who is you know going through any sort of challenging or turbulent time with their career whether you know it's sudden uh, unemployment and I know there's a lot of people um, that are experiencing this currently so you know I definitely feel for them because I was recently in their situation and it's tough I, I would say Never be shy to ask questions or to ask for help. Um, you know, you've worked this hard building up and, and maintaining relationships with people that um, are very supportive, with people that they themselves uh, may have been through these similar situations, which they themselves may have, um, you know, a network behind them who are more than capable and willing to support. So don't be afraid and, and don't shy away from asking a question if it means it can really help you out. You know, your support system is there in times like this to, to help you out. And so uh, that would be my piece of advice. Obviously, the other side of that is, you know, you always want to be cautious of abusing those types of support systems. So it's definitely both a give and take relationship. But yeah, at the end of the day, your network is your net worth and, and it rings true, especially in times like these. And you seem to have a knack for falling forward. <laughs> you went from a marketing manager to a director of marketing position. Yeah. Um, and I remember when we spoke, because uh, I, I reached out to you when I, I saw Planswell um, had folded and 
he said you wanted remote and i was like wow you're being really specific and you got it like is, is that the key you just like look for what you really really want and don't take a second option yeah that's a tough one you know because i was in a weird situation where um and it's funny you had mentioned that at that time i was putting out a lot of content i think i just had a lot of time on my hand and i was like you know what i i have been wanting to get back to the level of content production that i once was mm-hmm. at before and now that i have this time you know i've got a lot of a lot more experience under my belt and a lot more things that i can share and add value to so i just started pumping out content and i think that started getting some eyeballs from people who were hiring as well um and so yeah i had something in my mind that was like you know what i was i i still do live in hamilton i was working in toronto the cute commute was about two hours door to door one way um so i was spending about four hours you know either taking the go bus or the go train and i would realize that you know i'm not utilizing my time when i'm um in my commute or during my commute. And and so I'm really just like, I was sort of miserable most of the time going into work and leaving work knowing that I had to hop on a train. And I realized that it was definitely impacting my overall quality of life. It was impacting, uh, you know, my relationship with uh, my friends, my family. It was impacting, you know, my my health overall. Just like by the time I got home, I didn't want to go to the gym. Um, And so I realized that like, I, I, did not want to commute after that. That was one thing that I made very clear. And you're right, we had talked about that. I was like, I absolutely do not want to uh, want to commute. You know, if it's if I, if I have to, sure, I'll do it. Because at that point, you are sort of in survival mode as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely made it uh, a goal of mine to get a job that was remote. And so, luckily enough, uh, Spencer, who's the CEO of Saveology, and I had nothing but amazing things to say about him. The relationship the the working dynamic and relationship that him and I have is is by far the best I've ever had with any um, with any leader or any senior manager especially a CEO um, you know he puts a lot of trust in me and I think that helps me move the needle forward and helps me um, bring out my best work um, and but yeah you know I, I made it a goal of mine to work remotely entirely and then Spencer had reached out. And we, him and I just sort of had a couple conversations before anything uh, was agreed upon in terms of, you know, whether it was a consulting type of uh, basis, which is what I started out as at, at first with Saveology. Um, and then, yeah, our relationship sort of developed from there. And then there just came up a, a point in the time when Saveology needed to hire a marketing leader and marketing director. And it just worked out well for me. And, uh, is that a struggle, like being that high level and being remote? Hmm. I would say it's not necessarily a struggle. Like for sure, I think there are times where if I was in the office, it would probably be a lot more uh, efficient or it might just be easier to ask a couple questions, whether it's the Spencer or Tim, who's our head of engineering. Um, but, you know, I, I think we just we make up for it in, in, in certain ways and in we, what we do and what we have done very well from the get-go of me coming on and doing even, uh, you know, part-time type of work with Saveology when I first started out was we set very clear expectations on how the workflow and the communication style was going to be. And so just having that in place really helped uh, how everything else around us transpired and how we do work. So for sure, I would say 
there are times where maybe having a personal one-on-one -on -one meeting might do, might might, uh, might benefit us. But you know, in, in times that we're living right now, at least I, I would say the the for sure positive side of things is that we've been working remote uh, for a while. At least I have with Saveology, so I'm very accustomed to that. So um, you know, our workflow hasn't been disrupted or changed much. Yeah, and that's why I ask because we're we're all doing it now. <laughs> Exa exactly. Yeah. So you know, I, I I've got a couple months at least before the pandemic really hit, and and that definitely helped. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, uh, with the current crisis, have you seen any kind of short term or anything you can kind of see predicting happening in the marketing world? I'm just kind of leaving this very general to pick your brain and see what you're seeing out there. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I was, you know, having a conversation with a good buddy of mine yesterday about that, too. Just not even necessarily on the marketing front, just how the current times will uh, uh, enable or sort of force a shift in, in just the way we work and we communicate with others. Mm -hmm. and, and I think what we're seeing is that there are a lot of tasks that people in, in companies in general can do remotely. I think sometimes a lot of times it, it comes down to companies maybe having trust or having a lack of trust in their employees. You know, a lot of companies try to attribute it to a culture thing, but which I totally get. But I also do think that you can still develop and build great culture remotely. Um, and so I don't think that culture necessarily has to be something where when you're in the same room together. But what I will say is that this will definitely change the mindset uh, for companies on how uh, the working relationship and dynamic will be. So my friend is uh, he's in the entertainment, the film. Uh, industry and they do so he's a, a film writer he's a producer director and they do table reading so a table reading is when you have the script ready you've got the casting done and what people will do is they'll actually sit around a, uh, a physical table that's why it's called a table reading and everyone will go through the script together each cast member and actor uh, reading out their parts uh, and so he was saying they actually had a table reading, a virtual table reading uh, a couple days ago. And he said it went a hundred times better than he could have imagined. He said this is probably going to change how they're going to do table readings from now on. Because, you know, you don't have to pay for actors or for any of the other cast members. Maybe it's producers, executive producers, et cetera, coming in physically uh, to, to one location to read it. So he's like, it, it's saving a lot of time and money. And to be honest, the outcome is pretty much the same. Now that was his first one, so who knows uh, if he'll if he'll say that on the second one that he does. But that's just one example again from something that is not necessarily related to marketing directly. But yeah, no, I agree. I mean, even um, for me, like we're producing webinars right now, and it's getting our stakeholders used to just being in a room by themselves rather than like having the marketing team in there to hit record for them. Um, yeah. Which means we can probably produce more because they're, you know, it's less effort now for us. And exactly. Um, it's going to be interesting. Um, even taking like sick leave from now on, I think people, I know I was always someone who like, you know, I had to be really sick not to go in, but yeah. not anymore. <laughs> like I think that's going to be, yeah, change a lot of people's mindsets. It's, and behaviors it's going to be really interesting to to see where it goes absolutely yeah it'll it'll be interesting because it, it's still 
it's still definitely in its infancy stages right now uh, on mm -hmm. how things are developing. But, you know, for sure, we can already start to see a couple of trends start to emerge out of this on how, you know, the new, let's call it the new norm might be coming, coming out of this when we eventually do. But, you know, it's still really early uh, right now. So it's, it's kind of hard to predict exactly what, what things will look like when we eventually get to that new, new norm. Uh -huh. And short term, are you uh, doing anything in your role, maybe switching where your budgets are going or anything along those lines? Yeah, what we're trying to do now, one of the things is, is we're really placing more of an emphasis on um, diversification of how we're spending our money and how our efforts are, are going towards. So instead of, you know, leading with maybe two or three of the stronger channels, we're, we're trying to uh, get ourselves out there in more channels. And I think that's something that you should definitely do anyways. Um, you know, naturally, we were going to do that just at the stage of the company anyways, now being in growth mode and scale mode. But I, I think with everything that's happening, it's more apparent now than ever that, you know, diversifying how you're, you know, creating your demand or, or driving your leads is really more critical than ever. And I would also say on that point, just it shows too that marketers, you know, we really have to be empathetic and, and lead with, you know, keeping in mind that anyone we're marketing to is a human on the other side of the screen. So whether we're in B2C or B2B, um, you know, really you're marketing to uh, a human being. And so in, in, you know, times like these, that, that becomes at the forefront. Yeah, some great points. Uh, I think we can leave it there. Thanks for the conversation today. Where uh, can people find your podcast? Awesome. So you can find our podcast at um, our website is theaotf.com. Uh, and pretty much anywhere else, just type in The Art of the Fail podcast uh, and you can find us. All right. Thanks for uh, being on the podcast, Christian. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. All right, I guess I should, I, I have been recording, but I don't know where I can start this, to be honest, because like half the stuff we talked about, I could edit out. I love um, hey, by all means, you know what, if you want to use that, I find honestly some of the best content is the stuff that you uh, record before you even know, mm -hmm. or before the guest even knows that you're actually recording, uh, and even at the end of the episode, sometimes you just reveal the best nuggets. That's honestly what Chris and myself do on our, on our um, episode sometimes is, we like to use those as some sort of like teaser type of material that we can market or somehow we throw it into the episode because it just ends up being way better content sometimes.